Hello and welcome to the New Moon Tarot reading for the new moon that fell in the UK at least um, in the wee hours of the morning of the 12th of April 2021. This is the tarot reading for this new moon and beyond. So while there is a sort of um, focus point of the next two to four weeks, I always say that these readings really are relevant for as long as they're relevant. And sometimes that can, you know, there'll be things that will impact that will will stay with you for the rest of your life. And those things may not necessarily be huge and momentous. They may be subtle as well. And it's only by looking back at them from um, a later vantage point that you're able to see just how um, how something has unwound and presented itself, resolved itself into the foreground after maybe weeks or months or years of fermenting in the background. But um, so we'll see what, what each card holds for the particular positions I've assigned. And I have shuffled, cut the deck. I've got three cards laying face down in front of me. And the first card, as ever, is the foundation card. So pay attention to the fact that this isn't something that's going to happen. It has already happened, is in the process of happening. But even if it's in the process of happening, it's it's started already. So it's something that you will be able to um, recognize. And if you're not able to recognize, it's something that you'll be able to look for and you will be able to find. It's not something that is yet to materialize. That's the foundation card. And then it leads us into the second card, which is the theme of the month card, the, the main theme. There'll be many themes, there'll be many things going on, but this one I would say would be a defining theme for the month. And again, it may be defining in a very large way, or it may be defining in a very small way. And I've done these readings enough, and I've been on this planet enough to know that the things that are really large that we notice may not necessarily be the things that are the most important um, in, in the future. Um, they may not be the things that are most important for our soul growth. They may usher in a, a new way of life, but, but then it's the details of that life that then continue to allow it to grow and expand. So I really wouldn't pay any attention to um, looking for a, some kind of great crescendo. If there is one, that's great. Um, or maybe not so great. And that's the way that, that life is, is that, um, you know, it, it goes one way or the other. But if we look for crescendos, if we look for climaxes, if we look for the point somewhere out there, something that's due to happen, then we forget about what we have here. You know, we forget about the foundation, card number one. So the best thing to do is to pay attention to that as the basis for how it interacts then with card number two, because it's the way that they interact that is important. It's not just simply that the foundation leads you to something, you know, that, that's, not, that's not the sole function of the foundation in most cases. It enables you to experience something in a specific way. So the combination is important. And then finally, an equally important card, perhaps sometimes more important, is card number three, which is that tool card. It is the agency card. It is the card where you are able to be operant on your surroundings, um, to be operant on a particular thing emerging within you, around you, or coming to you from someone somewhere else. So that is the reading in a nutshell in terms of layout, which 
many of you will know, but there will be newcomers and, and so it's worth the introduction each time. Card number one, foundation card, has already happened, is in the process of happening. And that is a card that has turned up in a previous reading. And that is the star. The star, interestingly, is looking back. And if I remember correctly, the star appeared two readings ago in the same position. I could be completely wrong about that. Please forgive me. Um, my head is a little fuzzy from sinus problems, so, um, so it may well be that I am not particularly channeling the star when it comes to my memory. But, um, but I, do, I do seem to remember that there was something significant about the star looking off to the left again um, at the edge of the reading. This is foundational. The star is a major archetype. It is one of the archetypes in the major arcana, which means that it is not necessarily fully accessible to our conscious awareness. Um, I was writing on a group the other day that, um, that the archetypal sort of um, situations and personality types of the minor arcana are things that we can inhabit and do inhabit. But the major arcana... Um, really they they kind of they inhabit us in spite of ourselves sometimes and um, we can pay attention to hints about them being there but um, if we believe that we've managed to become cognizant of the entirety of that card in other words if we believe that we've really you know understood the card fully in one fell swoop and in you know in a moment of analysis then we almost certainly haven't the star is something that will be revealing itself in one way or another. And, um, and that may have already happened. Um, it may be in the process of happening. And it is, it is really to do with a greater connection to cosmic forces. Now, that's all well and good, but what does that mean in everyday language? Well, it could mean a greater sense of connection to oneself a greater connection to the truth that comes from oneself, a greater connection to one's intuition. And by intuition, I mean that kind of guidance that transcends um, feelings, that transcends thoughts, um, that transcends the heart. It is an inner knowing. And I often talk about this. It's very difficult to describe. Um, and in a way, you're kind of preaching to the converted when you describe it, to, because, because you've, got a, you've got to have experienced it to really know it. But I think that there is something really quite um, accurate in the idea of alignment that, you know, that sort of refers to this state. It feels like a state of inner alignment, you know, the sort of accessing the vertical. So I know, again, that's starting to sound a bit esoteric, um, but and I'm waving my arms wildly in front of my face trying to explain this, so excuse any noises that come out on the mic. But it is about a, a feeling that what you are sensing, what you inwardly know, what you are thinking, and your emotions, and what you are saying, feel like they all line up. They are congruent. And the star is a kind of congruence that is, as I'm going to go back to that word, archetypal in nature. In other words, it's not just a, um, a personal isolated congruence, but it is, it is a congruence with life itself. Um, your own life lived um, according to your own truth. There is a feeling of flow. 
and it may even be in moments. So again, you are not searching for that kind of um, elevated sense of oneness with everything as much as you are searching for those moments where there is a connection where you don't have to question something, nor do you need to defend it to anyone. There is just this sense of, I know, I know this. Um, and you may not even voice it to yourself. It is just a felt sense. So the star here is something where you know. And the star is looking back. So in other words, this knowingness is based on something that has happened in the past. It may be the recent past, the star is Aquarius, it may be towards the beginning of this year. Um, it may be the far past, but there is a rootedness in something that has already been experienced, and then there is a knowing based on that. And that knowing may be one that you've known all along, or it may have been an insight or a realization that has shifted things so dramatically, or, you know, or shifted things again I'm, I, there's there's lots of hyperbole that's used with all of this and it could be dramatic but it could be subtly dramatic that you have had to look back and see things in a new light or that there has been no way to avoid seeing things in a new light and there will be a revelatory sense about that but it may be a gentle one and it may be a gentle one of coming home to yourself coming home to a sense of truth integrity being restored based on something that has happened in the past. So that is the foundation to this reading and it is leading into the current theme and that is going to be the high priestess. My goodness, my goodness, we have very ethereal cards in a way. I'm, I'm thinking about, um, that was the first word that came to me and they are both major arcanas. So they are... Um, Again, we are grappling with something, but, but what better to grapple with the sort of mysteries of the unconscious and the superconsciousness? Um, what better than having the star and the high priestess? So in a way, we need to put on our star and high priestess glasses, or rather the star's glasses to encounter the high priestess. While the star is a female figure in this, and it very much looks like a figure of Julie Andrews um, back in the 60s, 70s. Um, the star is androgynous. The high priestess is, is female and she is associated with the moon in terms of which associations the, the major arcana have with the planets and with the signs of the zodiac. And interestingly, we have that with the um, advent of the new moon and then the star, a sun. So there's the sun and the moon. It's almost this, this entire spectrum of of being able to tap into the currents that are not necessarily immediately tangible. And because the high priestess is yet to happen, what the star is ushering us into is to be able to recognize that in ourselves. The high priestess is the ability to put one foot in the material world, the physical world, not necessarily the world of money, but the one, one foot in the physical tangible world that we have, and yet also have one foot in the spiritual world. Or even, to put it another way, to stand in neither of them. Um, so bridging the gap or being the bridge or being on the bridge between the two. One of the words that comes up very often in describing the high priestess is liminal. So that liminal state of um, awareness, of receptiveness, of messages that come from 
um, from the non-material world, again, from the from intuition, from one's connection to one's self. I mean, there are many different ways that we can say this. So some people may say that they're connecting to a higher power. Other people may say that they're connecting to a sense of oneness and, you know, because we are all one. There may be a sense of connection to, um, to some um, state of consciousness. Um, I prefer to think of the idea of connecting to the God within, connecting to that sense of wisdom that, um, that isn't ours, but we are a part of it it kind of imbues the whole thing with a sense of humility because I really do believe that you don't connect to this with any sense of integrity without that humility of understanding, well, I can only really speak to my, for myself, but understanding my place in things, of understanding that sense of humility. And I think that this is where the reading is taking, um, taking me this month. So I'm going to trust that. So yes, I'm actually going to busk on the idea of humility for a while because um, what I've noticed, and I have, um, I've been very much involved in the New Age world for quite some time. I stepped away from that, or rather, I was kind of dragged away by circumstances, my own inner, basically my own sort of descent into some kind of inner chaos, having sort of felt like I was floating on cloud nine for a few years. And what it taught me is that there is a kind of state that accompanies this, uh, this identification with or meeting with the high priestess as um, a possible archetype. And that is the idea of inflation. And inflation from a psychological point of view is a kind of, it's a form of grandiosity. And I see and experience, and I have seen and experienced in myself um, the kind of spiritual grandiosity that confers a sense of specialness on somebody because, um, you know, I'm able to commune with, with spirit, I'm aware of a higher consciousness, and therefore that makes me, and this part may not be conscious, this may not be consciously said, but this in some way makes me special. Um, in some way, then, we can... Um, we can avoid having to deal with the, the downright mundane humanity of who it is that we are when we identify overly with a particular archetype. And, um, and tarot readers, many of them, will, will be drawn to the high priestess archetype because really the high priestess archetype defines tarot reading. It is about bringing that message through from that liminal world and being able to then translate it into um, something that is that is given to the human world and just by even saying that you can see that there, there could definitely be a sense of inflation around that that in some way you are the holder of a of a, a power or an ability that um, that other you know that few other people have and therefore you know in some way you're inflated and and also, as a tarot reader, um, I'll say that very much um, there is a sense of inflation given to you by uh, by so certain people who believe that you hold the you know the knowledge of life itself when you when you do a reading, and and I think that here there is something about the warning of overinflation that goes along with these two cards. I keep going back to the fact that the star is looking backwards, you know, or into the past. The high priestess is facing on to us, but her eyes are closed because she is communing within. 
And in certain ways, then, the looking back to the past is really a scrutinizing of something. And as I said, it's a sort of recalibration based on a realization once one is connected with an inner truth or knowing. And the high priestess is not particularly interested as an archetype or not interested at all in what is going on in the world around her. She is not of this world. She is of her own particular inner world. And um, she, as the pure archetype, in other words, the high priestess doesn't exist in any of us um, fully. We cannot fully inhabit the high priestess. We cannot fully inhabit any archetype. And if we believe that we are, then then um, I have often said this, this is, it's a, is a definition of insanity to believe that we are fully a, an archetype. But the high priestess as an archetype is, and written on the um, the card, wise woman, um, balance, harmony, access to intuitive powers, healing, independence, inner balance, increased self-confidence. All of these are to do with that sense of alignment. And there is something very humble about the process then of connecting to the high priestess in a way that holds integrity. When we meet the high priestess this month as the kind of theme, I believe that for many of us, it will be around a theme of integrity. How much power do we want to wield with the knowledge that we have or that we are given? How much power do we feel that we have um, over life itself, um, over our own perhaps hidden sense of powerlessness um, so that we can feel better about things? over others so that we can feel better about things and about ourselves. How can we strip that all back to a sense of being able to be truthfully within the archetype of the high priestess, to have that moving through us in some way and to surrender to it? In other words, we're really not attaching special to it at all. Rather, we are giving up our idea of what is special about us in order to receive something that doesn't actually come from us as individual conscious people. Um, there is a surrender to a force larger than that. And I think that that surrender can sometimes either be a form of flight, um, a way of, of not being here or not dealing with things, or it can be a humble kind of surrendering um, while knowing right down to the very bones of us that that we are human and that we are flawed and that while we may be a receptacle for these messages we will never ever be able to be a beacon an aerial that that is able to bring this in accurately all the time I mean there is a reason why I limit myself to the tarot readings that I do and that I am only at the moment doing one reading like this a month because it takes a tremendous amount of effort and is tiring. I know that some people say it shouldn't be tiring. I utterly disagree with that. Um, I think that when you are ascending the vertical, then you are bringing something in um, momentarily that may hold some truth for people. There is something here then about the high priestess calling, calling you to your own integrity about what feels truthful to you down to the very bones of you. Also, because we're dealing with mages, as I said, and two very ethereal cards, it is quite difficult to be able to pin them into reality in, in a very pragmatic, um, 
and tangible way because these two things are not particularly tangible. You know, I can speak about a felt sense, I can speak about integrity, but but really um, those are the kind of things that sort of are the are the anchors that suggest the presence of the high priestess, that suggest the presence of the star. There is, I think, this month, a call to being able to speak the truth without worrying about what other people think about you. There is the high priestess with her eyes closed. She is only focusing on what's inside. If you look at the picture, and I would encourage you strongly to look at it, it's not that she's not interested in what's going on around her. She is unaware of our gaze onto her. She is fully committed to her own process of that inner seeing. And so I think that there is an idea of either speaking the truth um, and I don't mean speaking the truth so it gets you into trouble. I mean, you know, speaking the truth for its own sake is shadow high priestess, as far as I'm concerned. But but rather, if there is a really deep drive and desire or knowing and, and the situation arises where um, there is, it just feels like something needs to be said or action needs to be taken based on one's knowing then the barometer needs to be inside you rather than from outside. The barometer is not the opinions of the people around you, certainly not the opinions of those closest to you who would probably hold the most sway. Um, It's not the opinions of the world either, but rather it is that still small voice that comes through that, that then you just simply follow because because it makes no sense not to. There is a no-brainer attitude about it. There isn't the requirement to speak out either. Maybe there is simply the requirement to listen or the invitation to listen. Actually, I don't particularly like requirements one way or the other, though that could be my own issues with authority. Um, but there is there is no requirement to be, do or say anything. But I think that when that small, still voice calls, that it will work in your better interests to listen to it. Um, And then, you know, and then it's up to you what you do with that. But that small, still voice doesn't necessarily confer authority that lies outside of you. It certainly doesn't confer specialness or some kind of um, holding key to universal wisdom. That's why your eyes need to be closed to the people and the things around you. Because if you are to connect with that inner part of yourself, nothing else matters. It doesn't need to matter. Other people and what they say to you, they don't matter. You don't need to tell them anything. You can keep your counsel. What matters is that you matter. You matter and your connection to that inner truth matters. And really, I think if anything, even on the most subtle level, it might be about the appreciation of how much that can matter to you personally and how little it might matter to anyone else around you, actually. You know, it may be that... um, that what you, what you discover within yourself 
has no direct relevance to anyone else, even though it may seem incredibly important to you. And if it feels important, if you know that it's important, it doesn't mean that it isn't important just because somebody else doesn't think it's important. It's it's difficult to explain this, but I think that there is something here about distancing yourself from the opinions um, of others or distancing yourself from your fear of what other other people may think about you, particularly because it feels like there is going to be information coming to you from within that um, has the ability to change your perspective on things, if only to change your perspective on yourself. And that might be the most important perspective that there is to be changed. So maybe there's more that comes from that. Maybe there isn't. Um, Maybe the more that comes is what comes through you over the course of the next few months. But I think the takeaway here in terms of the high priestess is that listen. It's to listen. Be still and listen. And even if there is a frenzy of of whatever else is going on around you, even if, you know, people are, are saying, no, 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 this is more important. Oh, look over here. You know, this is important. Isn't it amazing what's going on here? Oh my goodness, that's terrifying. That Those kinds of things. The things that are calling to your, your attention outside, whether that attention um, is fearful, whether it is fanciful, whether it is obsessive, whether it's compelling, the message that's for you will not be coming from a friend or from the newspapers or from Twitter or from, you know, a movie or it will be coming through you in some way. It may be aided by something outside. It may be, it may be um, that what is outside of you is an obstacle you know, one way or the other. It's it's not that everything is an obstacle outside. It's just that don't mistake anything outside for for the source of this. Um, This is you. And it might simply be for you only. It might be for others, but that's the discernment that you're going to need to exercise. And then in terms of the tool card, it is the Prince of Wands. So we now have gone into the minor arcana cards and actually um, one of the one of the um, court cards. And the prince in this case is the knight in the Waitsmith deck. So that is the third card along. So in this one, it's um, knight, which is king and then queen and then the prince, which is the knight. That is very, very confusing, I know. But put it this way, in the Waitsmith card, these are the guys on the horses. Okay. And the Prince of Wands is, this is your tool. This is what you do. And what I find really interesting about this is that while the Prince of Wands is a much more human sort of characteristic, it's a personality, it is a, it's a way of being in the world. You know, it, it, it's very much, um, it's, it's a personal archetype, not a, not a universal archetype. His eyes are closed like the High Priestess. There is nobody here that is looking at us, looking at them. Stars off to one side, the high priestess is in her own inner world, and so is the Prince of Wands, except the Prince of Wands is certainly not focusing completely on the same thing that the high priestess is doing. 
Um, the Prince of Wands is definitely on um, more human things. He's got a breast sort of emerging out of the shadow over his left shoulder. He's got um, a blue cracknel heart beneath him. And his eyebrows are feathered and his headdress is this mixture of, of blues and whites. And I have referred to the Prince of Wands here as cold fire. And I don't mean that in a negative way. But there is a certain coolness about this. Even his heart is blue. Um, there is something here about um, being quite dispassionate about something um, or, or keeping one's distance. It's interesting that this is the tool card when I find the Prince of Wands actually um, somewhat avoidant in terms of the personality type that comes out in this card. He's certainly sort of lustful, um, the wands, you know, there, that breast over his shoulder. He's quite fanciful in terms of his makeup. It's interesting that he's almost got the American flag on his eyelids, you'll see there, and then the blue finishing it off. So I'm not in entirely sure what that is. And then the two um, red rectangles, one above and below on his upper and lower eyelids, they seem to be duplicated at each side of the each side of the card as well and on his headdress he has all kinds of material things you know a key keys come up very often paintbrush and then the the in miniature black and white um, floor that is in the knight of wands the fiery knight of wands so it's almost as if he's learning how to be an adult in this he's learning how to temper his his lusty zest for life you know, he's got sex on his mind, he wants an adventure, he's got a key there, you know, he's he's um, cold fire, so he's a bit of a player, um, and, and his heart is not red yet, it is blue. So in terms of it being the, the tool card, I think that this could work two ways. I'm going to go for the more obvious one in terms of the, the sort of moralizing bent that, that may sort of come out of this reading, which is to be aware of our propensity to be like this, um, to sort of play the game with a cool, a cool head, but so cool that it's aloof, um, bit of a heartbreaker, you know, in terms of that heart, a bit of a, a what's in it for me attitude. He's trying on his wings. He wants to see what it's like. He's discovered sex for the first time. He, you know, he wants to go out into the world and get laid as much as he wants. Um, that that's the kind of Prince of Wands attitude there, and and that's and that's not a bad attitude. It's not a wrong attitude. It's a phase, or it's a, a part of life that nearly all of us will go through in one form or another. But I think it's not about getting stuck there. And the reason why I say that is not because of a moralizing thing, but because he's a prince. The Knight of Wands has been through that, and in some way he has embodied it in a more balanced way. So there's something here about keeping an eye on that that sort of acquisitive, um, what's in it for me, I'm going to go and get me some attitude there with the Prince of Wands, um, and, and see where that might be um, pulling the High Priestess out of balance. The Prince of Wands needs to in some way be aligned with the High Priestess, otherwise her voice gets drowned out. But she in some way needs him as well. So I don't think it's entirely a sort of, in inverted commas, moralizing stance. But rather the, the positive aspects of the Prince of Wands 
is that ability to embody that erotic energy, that creative energy, procreative energy that doesn't necessarily need to be sexually orientated, by the way, but in a way that he isn't entirely consumed by it. He isn't totally identified with it. There is a bit of a coolness about it. So the the shadow side of it is the, the player. But the lighter side of that is rather not to be so identified with it that you become played, that there is a sense of skepticism, maybe a sense of cynicism, but it's tempered. So there is a, and, and what that suggests is a bit of a distance between yourself and that eros that's coming through. Not a distance that then allows you to use and a use it in a certain way or to or to not connect with it at all in other words the the one just becomes you know some kind of weapon or implement but rather to be able to use it in a way that you understand and can feel the connection to it but it doesn't take you over Um, I'm going to go and look at the writing in this of course it's mixed up with German so it's going to sound a bit um, disjointed but says here, um, creativity, blooming love, light, um, again, creativity, intuition, um, from darkness into light. There is something here about, I think, enabling the Prince of Wands, and this is the tool, to grow up a little, to be aware of when one is divorcing oneself from one's heart purely for the um, sensual experience, to divorcing oneself from one's intuition purely for the sensual experience, of ignoring one's own inner truth just to go out and get some excitement in a way that doesn't give up the excitement completely, in a way that is able to um, start to integrate it it's a very, very fine line. You know, the High Priestess and the Prince of Wands, as much as they are next to each other and sort of facing in a similar way, the High Priestess with the moon above and the Prince of Wands with the heart, which does suggest a kind of mirroring. They're like, they're a little bit like oil and water. Not completely, because because in some way they need to mix. But there's that paradox that we return to that we do in nearly every reading, that there is there is a way here to find that balance so that the high priestess can reach her fullest expression, but she is not eclipsed and also she is not used. The wisdom that she confers is not used just to um, just for personal gain. And it's not, again, a moralizing thing. It's not because then personal gain is wrong, but rather I think that what is lost here then is an aspect of yourself in it, that the high priestess becomes um, becomes used, that she is not respected, um, that the Prince of Wands needs to start to respect that feminine side of things, you know, that she's not just something that, um, that he can use for his own ends, because it works. You know, I, I bet the Prince of Wands is a really smooth talker. I bet that he can, you know, he can talk anyone around to anything. And the shadow side of that is that there is exploitation and the exploitation is actually mirrored back onto the Prince of Wands eventually because he just doesn't grow up and that's a very shallow existence. But um, the exploitation is also about the high priestess and that idea of, um, 
of really not being able to um, respect one's own inner integrity, that connection to oneself that is so important as part of becoming a fully fledged adult is that ability not only to be able to reflect on one's own truth, but to reflect on one's own truth without um, either abusing that truth or discarding it because somebody else thinks it's not that important. The Prince of Wands brings a sense of importance to it, but it then shouldn't escape into self-importance. There is a there is a very seductive quality to the Prince of Wands that um, can be used for good or for ill. And again, I want to bring it back to the repercussions that would happen to the Prince of Wands because, um, because I don't want to be standing on the soapbox and say, well, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. But rather it is that if um, it is, it takes me back to the idea of the unbearable lightness of being. Now, if you don't know that if you don't know the book or the, and you or you haven't seen the movie, the um, the surgeon and I cannot remember his name, but he was played by Daniel Day Lewis in the movie, is very much a Prince of Wands, very much a Prince of Wands character right at the beginning. Um, his conquests, he's a brilliant surgeon, but but all he wants are sexual conquests. He has used his ability to really read the minds of women in order to get them into bed, and they are absolutely seduced by him, and you know everyone has a good time, but. But he then understands that there is a certain responsibility around love, and that comes in the form of Juliette Binoche's character, and also in the character of Lena Olin, who, and, and these two women are the women who really, in some way, teach the character, Day Lewis's um, character, to grow up. And there is that then mutuality of support and also despair and pain and realization and the walking in one's own integrity that is hard won through the film that that um, and the book that then allows the unbearable lightness of being to translate into the bearable heaviness of being. In other words, you know, um, to be able to engage with life meaningfully, not to give up one's eros, but rather to... Um, to connect with others and to connect with oneself and to connect with meaning. So the Prince of Wands is here a powerful, pivotal character um, who should neither be wholly embraced as the shadow aspect nor should be discarded as the shadow aspect. But he is an essential ingredient in the understanding and the bringing out of the High Priestess's truth, the bringing out of her in an aspect of one's own self and experience of oneself. And together, they then form this kind of experience that is both in the world and, and not in the world. Um, the Prince of Wands is very worldly. He's very earthy. Um, the High Priestess is not. And both needed in order for this message to come through. Because, of course... The most important thing here is the message. It is that information that's coming through. There is something here about not worshipping it nor eclipsing it. There is the listening to and acceptance of it. There is the ability to work with it. So I will go back to that as the final point. This interplay of these three cards are all about a particular message 
And that message may be a specific message. It may be an instruction from the self. You know, sometimes the self can be very instructive, particularly in dreams. If you have a disembodied voice that says something to you that's not coming from any of the characters or players in your dream, it gives you some kind of truth. Or it may be a felt sense of what is right for you or what is wrong um, and, and how, you know, and how that needs to be dealt with. And all of these, and with the star going back to something in the past, some kind of thing that is key to what is happening in the present. So pay attention to where the high priestess becomes activated in you. Um, And you'll know it because you'll know it. And that is as much as I can say to describe it. It has been a long and convoluted reading about things that are really quite immaterial. In in other words, you know, they are not from this world entirely, um, but they are certainly not immaterial in terms of importance. They are of material importance to you. And um, keep yourself front and centre of this, Um, but not so much front and centre that it blocks out the truth that comes from beyond, um, the truth that comes from inside and beyond, not just what you want, but perhaps what you need. I hope that's helpful. Comments and questions, as ever, are welcome. Um, either you can use the comments section of the medium that you're on, and if that's not available, then you can email me at sarah at integratedtarot.com. And um, I will leave you for the next four weeks with a wish that you have an experience of yourself that is new and that is revelatory, even if it is a small, beautiful revelation. Thank you very much and take good care. Bye. Bye.